Uh, let's turn to the scriptures and to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's on page 1053 in the Pew Bibles. And it's entitled The Parable of the Ten Minas. And this is uh, Jesus um, speaking. And let's listen to what he has to say. So Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minutes. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your minna has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your minna has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came to him and said, sir, here's your minna. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, you knew, did you, that I was a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put the money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this minna away from, from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Amen. Well, let's uh, pray and ask for God's help, the Holy Spirit's help, as we come to his word. Let's pray. Come, people of the risen King, who delight to bring him praise. Come all and tune your hearts to sing to the morning star of grace. Our Father, we ask that you'd help us now as we uh, turn our thoughts to you. Lord, tune our hearts to sing of your grace this morning. Show us your character more deeply. Show us your will for our lives uh, more clearly. And motivate us, encourage us to do your will. For we ask this for your name's sake. Amen. 
Well, if you, if you can, uh, it would be helpful to turn back to Luke chapter 19 on page 1053. And we're looking at this uh, parable of the ten miners. I call them miners. Um, I don't mean those, those guys who got stuck down a hole um, like a couple of years back. Um, we're talking about uh, this parable of Jesus giving these ten coins to his servants. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the, st- the show Escape to the Country, a uh, popular thing for us to watch if we're just looking for a bit of downtime probably, uh, all about uh, how people are interested in buying a little place to, in the countryside to get out of the city and go probably to retire and relax and enjoy country life. And maybe many of us um, during this hot uh, summer are keen to do something like that. We're quite keen to get out of the city and escape to the country. And I wonder if the, the popularity of that program and the popularity of that kind of idea that maybe tells us something about where many of our heads are at. Many of us, I think, are, are longing to escape to the country, are longing to get away from the busyness and the grind of daily life and, and go and retire somewhere nice and, and do whatever it is that, that we think we'll enjoy. We want to escape to the country. And perhaps particularly during this summer, that's how we feel. We, we don't want to have to go into work. We don't have to do the usual routine. We want to be able to get away. So I think this is a brilliant parable for us to be looking at uh, this summer. Because actually, in this parable, the Lord is calling us to do almost the exact opposite of escaping to the country. He's calling us to a lifestyle that is all about engaging in his business. I've got three phrases that I think sum up this parable and that I'd love us to hold on to this summer. So the first one is this, the king is away. Have a look at verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went into a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So the situation then is the Lord is on his way to Jerusalem. Actually, many of these parables that we've been following this summer have been told on this journey to Jerusalem, and now... Jerusalem's just sort of over the next hill. He's, he's coming so close. And people are wondering, well, Jesus is the king, so is he going to come and establish the kingdom as soon as he gets to Jerusalem? Is he going to start judging the world and putting everything right when he gets there? And he's not. Not quite in that way anyway. And so the Lord tells this story about a nobleman who goes into a distant country to receive a kingdom, and then he returns. Now, this situation, it's not a sort of a made-up kind of thing. It sounds slightly contrived to us about going away to receive a kingdom, but it's actually something very familiar from the news headlines for the disciples. Um, We we know about King Herod. Well, he was part of a dynasty of Herodian kings of Judea, and they weren't really kings in their own right. Every time a new head of the household uh, wanted to become king, they had to get on a boat and sail around to Rome where the emperor was, and the emperor would give him the title of being the king, and then he'd get on his boat and sail back, and the nobleman, who had gone away to a far country, comes back, and now he's the king. So you get the picture? Well, these kings were not popular, we know about Herod, but actually the least popular seems to have been a man called Archelaus. Uh, His citizens hated him so much that they actually sent a delegation after him to Rome, to try and persuade the emperor not to make this man king. And it worked. 
the emperor actually said, okay, Archelaus, you can still be in charge of Judea, but I'm not going to make you the king. We'll now have a look at verse uh, 14 over the page. Uh, this king in the story, his, his, or this nobleman in, in the story, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. But then look at verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. So do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's picking up the most hated Herodian king. And he's saying, I'm a bit like that. I am going to be despised and rejected when I go into Jerusalem. I am going to be hated by my people. They're going to try and stop me from being king. But you know what? It's not going to make a bit of difference. I will be made king. He was made king, however, and returned home. So Jesus is saying, even though I'm going to die and I'm going to go away into this far country, he's going to ascend at God's right hand. There's going to be a lot of noise. There's going to be a lot of opposition. There's going to be a lot of people trying to pretend that Jesus isn't king. Jesus says, don't listen to them. It's not going to make a jot of difference. I will be king. And so this is our first point. The king is away. So can you think of any, any rulers in recent history who, um, whose election was quite controversial and people really didn't like this guy and they tried very hard to stop him from becoming the ruler. Um, uh, he was uh, elected in November 2016. People spent three months trying to find ways to stop him uh, coming into office. But in January 2017, he, he took the oath and he became the president of the United States of America. And he's sitting in the White House today and he's probably tweeting something as we, as we speak. It's a really good parallel, isn't it? Jesus doesn't mind compar us comparing him to Donald Trump because you know what he says? The opposition is not going to make a bit of difference. I can be a, as despised and rejected as you like. I am the king. And yes, I'm away now, but I'm coming back. So this is the first phrase then for us to hold on to from this parable. The king is away. So yeah, our holidays aren't going to be perfect because the kingdom hasn't come yet. Our Christian lives aren't going to be perfect because the king hasn't come yet. But don't let that make you forget that the king is coming. He's still the king. However bad this world feels, however much opposition there is, however noisy people get against Jesus, he's away, but he's the king who is away. So if we want to be on the right side of Jesus, if we want to be his friends, if we believe that he's coming back and want to be ready for him, how should we live? Well, that's what this parable is all about. And it really begins in verse 12, so back over the page. And verse 13. The, king, the, the, the nobleman called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work or invest or, or do business, he said, until I come back. Now, this, this miner, I think, does our footnote have this? Yeah, a miner was about three months' wages. So we could say that's about six grand, shall we say, for an ordinary person. Not a massive sum of money these people were being entrusted with. I guess many of us probably have more than that in our savings accounts. But the, the, the nobleman says, put this money to work. Um, invest it, engage in business, do trading. All those kind of words uh, make sense for this. Um, in this time until I come back. 
And even though it's not a massive amount of money, the king really cares about what his servants are going to do. Have a look at verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. And with all these enemies still around, he first thing he does is he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they'd gained with it. So top of the king's agenda, when he comes back in all his power to rule, is he wants to find out how have his servants done with the money that he's entrusted them with. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? It's quite sobering. When the Lord comes back, he is going to come back to judge his enemies. But he's going to be very, very interested, perhaps even more interested, in finding out about us. How have we done with what he's given us? It's not just going to be a kind of um, a judgment scene picture when Jesus comes back. It's also going to be a kind of like a boardroom scene where, where the CEO comes in and he wants to look through all the accounts and see how have my employees done with the money that I've given them. The Lord's going to be asking me, what business have you done for me, Sam? How have you, how have you invested in business for me? What have you done with this minor I gave you? And really, the, the focus of this parable is, is, this, is this third servant who has this very awkward conversation with the king. And really, I think this parable is here so that we don't have to have a conversation like that with our king. So, I wonder if you're asking, well, what do we have to do then? What, what is this parable telling us about what we have to do? What is this minor, and what are we meant to do with it? Well, I don't think the answer is actually that far away. Um, this parable isn't meant to confuse us. It's meant to make things clearer or give us an illustration of things we already know. So look back to, to verse 11 and just see where this parable comes. This is a big clue. It begins like this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. So what were they listening to? Well, the previous story is that story of Jesus coming to the house of Zacchaeus, that famous tax collector. Um, and Jesus says uh, at the end of that story, um, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So if you had to ask yourself, well, what... What is, what is our king all about? What's his business? What's his kind of mission? Very, very clear, isn't it? The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's his business. And when he gives this money to his servants, do you think he's really asking them to kind of go off and do their own different businesses? Kind of just do whatever they like. No, he's asking them to use the money to grow his business like any good businessman would. And so the king's business, seeking and saving the lost, that's our business too. We're meant to invest our minor in growing the king's business, seeking and saving the lost. And so I think uh, the minor seems to be our lives. God gives each of us a life to use in his service. And he's very clear what he wants us to do with it. He says, invest it in seeking and saving the lost, just like your king, because he's going to go away, but he wants to give you a part of running this business of seeking and saving the lost. Now, of course, that's going to look different for everyone. 
uh, depending on what sort of life he's given us. But it's clear, isn't it, that the, the king calls us to something much, much bigger than just escaping to the country. If your biggest hope in this life is 2.4 loving children, uh, 1.4 faithful dogs, uh, or a car that makes you smile, the Lord has told this parable for you. Because he says, there's actually something more that I'm calling you to here. The great purpose of the Son of God is to come and seek and to save what was lost. And Jesus says to us, come and join me in that. You can get involved. Come and give your lives to winning people for my kingdom. It's good, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, we might say, well, we've got a lot on Jesus. Doesn't, doesn't this just feel maybe a little bit like another burden that the preacher's kind of laying on us? We've got so much on, and here comes this other thing that we're told that this is what our lives are meant to be about. And we know, don't we, that if our lives aren't going to be geared up to investing in this business of seeking and saving the lost, we're going to have to be less invested in other things. We can't kind of invest equally in everything. The king is saying, invest in my business. Put my money to work until I come. So maybe this doesn't actually feel that gracious. Maybe this doesn't feel that good this morning to hear this. And so there's a final phrase that we need to hold on to uh, from this parable. Uh, The king is away. Invest in his business today because thirdly, his generosity awaits. So we get these interviews with three of the ten servants, and the first two have done brilliantly. Um, They've really gone for it. Have a look at verse 16. Uh, The first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned ten more. So if we're saying that the miner is worth um, six grand, that would mean in today's money he's, he's made about 60 grand. Pretty good going, isn't it? But then have a look at verse 17. Well done, my good servant his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. So, do you see the equation here? You've earned 60 grand. Take charge of 10 cities. So, in today's money, take charge of Belfast, Liverpool, Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Uh, Have I said Cardiff? Southampton, Leeds, Nottingham, Brighton. You've earned 60 grand. What? 10 cities. Okay, let's just think this through a bit more. Let's, let's take Brighton, 15th uh, largest city in the United Kingdom. Uh, GDP um, was uh, £20 billion in 2012. That's how much money Brighton was making in, in 2012. So if you were in charge of Brighton, like this guy gets to be in charge of 10 cities, uh, and you say you collected taxes from Brighton at a rate of 10%, how much money you make in a year? you're making two billion pounds a year. And this guy's got 10 of these cities. This boss is extravagantly generous. The next guy comes along. He's earned five cities, uh, five miners, 30 grand. He gets five cities. I'd have to name another five cities. I'm not sure I could do it. Um, But you get the point. And presumably, you could extrapolate that down, right? So if you've earned just one miner, then you'd get a mere two billion a year. If you'd even earned just 10% interest on your miner, 
600 quid off the initial six grand, you'd get a cool 202 million pounds a year coming into your bank account. This king, he's very generous, isn't he? He wants to reward us way, way, way out of proportion of what we do for him. Now, there are going to be different rewards in heaven, in the kingdom of God. I think that's part of what the Lord is saying in this parable. Um, and it's, it's, that's a good thing. We, we often don't like talking about that, but the Lord does want to motivate us. And part of how he does that is says, look, the more you invest your life in my service, yeah, the more extravagantly generous the rewards are going to be for you in the kingdom. Um, if you wanted to look into this a little bit more, if that strikes you as maybe wrong or you feel like that would be not in, in keeping with uh, how God treats us, um, I read a little book this summer called The Christian's Pocket Guide to Good Works and Rewards by a guy called Mark Jones. Um, it's, just, it's under 100 pages. And it's actually, I found it really interesting because it's not just about this very little topic, if you, if you think of it that way. Actually, this little topic tells us a, a lot about, about God and what he wants for us. So, recommend that to you, and the first person to kind of come and ask me to borrow this one uh, can take my copy away um, this uh, afternoon. Okay, so that is important, this idea that there are these, these different rewards, but even more important than that, we need to be very, very clear that whatever these rewards are, they vastly outweigh whatever earnings these guys produce. We need to highlight this on our hearts. Our king is extravagantly generous. The king is away. Invest in his business today because his generosity awaits. And so now we come to the heart of the story, this third servant, verse 20. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Now, I think this servant does several things wrong here. So firstly, he disobeys the very clear command of the king. The king said, put this money to work until I come. And the, the servant just hasn't done that. And secondly, the reason he, he, he says, the, the reason he hasn't done that is it's somehow the king's fault. He blames it on the king. He says, I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You, 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 put in what you, you take it out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. So he's very happy to try and escape um, condemnation by sort of dragging the king's character into the mud, if he can. But then thirdly, this is actually all lies. Look at what the, the, the master says, verse 22. I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit? So that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. If this servant really did think that the king was a hard man, not generous, but hard, then he would have done something about it. He would have made sure to have given this king something. But he didn't, so he was lying, thirdly. So, fourthly then, what is the real reason this servant didn't bother to do anything with his miner? Why did he keep it so tightly in his hanky? Well, I wonder 
if maybe he didn't really believe that the master was coming back. Maybe he thought the enemies would win. And it's interesting, actually, that that first servant is commended for being trustworthy. And that's the same word as as we use for having faith. There's this very close link between uh, being trustworthy or being faithful and having faith. And it seems to me that this third servant, he hasn't got faith because he doesn't believe that the king is coming back to reward him. And so he clings on to what he's got. He holds tightly to his minor, wraps it up in his hanky. He's living for now because he doesn't have faith that the king is coming. And there's a very deep lesson here, I think, that we really need to be learning. The way we live, the choices we make, are a direct reflection of whether we believe in Jesus. If you've got a living faith in Jesus, if you believe he's coming back, you are going to invest in his business. You are going to throw your lives as much as you can into this business of seeking and saving the lost. Because you know your king is coming back to be extravagantly generous. You will do it. You won't need me to to sort of uh, beat you up and sort of say, right, we really need to get 10 volunteers to do this, or um, I really need everyone to be talking about Jesus as much as they can. You'll want to do that because you believe your king is going to reward you extravagantly for every tiny little bit of investment you make in his business. But of course, if you think that the king may or may not be coming back, and if he does, he may or may not have something for you, then you're going to take a very low-risk approach to being a Christian. You're going to try and hedge your bets, basically, I think. You're going to try and, and live for now. Invest a little something in your children, a little something in your retirement, a little something in your ambition, a little something in your hobbies, and maybe a little something in the church, just in case. You're going you're gonna to try and hold on as tightly to everything you can. I'm told that if you're an investor, confidence is everything, isn't it? If, you, if you're going to kind of invest in the market or invest in a business, you've got to just be confident that that business is going to go up or the market's going to go up. And as soon as confidence goes, investment dies. And brothers and sisters, our investor confidence should be sky high. It should be totally, um, we should be ready to kind of throw everything we've got in. Because Jesus isn't going to be defeated by his enemies. He's already the king. And he's not going to come back and and kind of reward us like a tight-fisted little businessman. He's the king of grace. He wouldn't have come if he wasn't the king of grace. And when he comes, he's not going to be just picking holes in everything we've done and trying not to give us anything. He is going to be coming and looking for anything he can do to reward us for what what we've done in his service. Now, I'm not suggesting this is easy. It does involve... Uh, decisions about how we're going to shape our lives around this. It does take hard work. And this sermon is not about answering these, these questions. This parable is not about giving us details on this. This parable is about saying, this is what it's all about, guys. Invest in business. Do business until I come. Join me in trying to seek and save the lost. Put this money to work, he says, until I come back. 
And so may we hear the Son of Man say, Well done, good servant, by whom and with whom be glory to the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. The King of grace, my shepherd is. Our Father, we thank you that we have a King who comes, yes, to bring judgment on his enemies, but to be extravagantly generous to his friends. Our Father, we thank you for the grace that made us members of your kingdom, that gave us a hope of eternal life with you. And we thank you for the grace that calls us to join with your king in seeking and saving the lost. We thank you for the grace that offers us rewards beyond all that we can imagine as we get involved in that. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you that the king came so that we wouldn't have to die. And Lord, may we be a church, be a people, be families and individuals whose lives are all about investing in this work of seeking and saving the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray hallowed be your name. Father, bring glory to your Son, the King of love who bears your name, our Saviour, our Healer, our Shepherd, our Brother, our Champion, our Judge, our Rewarder, our Joy, and our Prize. Father, lift him up that you may be glorified in your Son and we in him. And so we pray, may your kingdom come. Father, we pray that the increase of Christ's government and of peace would have no end. May the enemies of Christ be silenced wherever they are. And may your servants be free in this country and across the world to carry on the Son of Man's mission of seeking and saving the lost. Our Father, we praise you for two churches in our local network of churches here in East Belfast that have called new ministers this summer. And so we pray for Marty Gray as he settles into his first charge at Ravenhill and for Gareth McLean as he moves from Balamoney to be the senior minister at Orangefield. Father, we thank you for how both of these men have taken up opportunities to serve you in full-time gospel ministry. And we pray that as they begin their new ministries, that they would have confidence that you will supply all they need through the mighty working of your Holy Spirit. Father, sustain them with the hope that their labour in the Lord is not in vain. And help their wives and their families too as they adjust to the move to Belfast. Uh, Help them to settle in and please show them uh, how they can be involved in your work too. And Father, we want to take this opportunity to pray as well for Reuben and Jenny as they get ready to move on to new ministry in Willowfield. Father, we thank you very much for them both. And especially for Reuben's diligent service of our young people over the past three years. Thank you for the ways he's invested his time and energies in your work. And so, Father, we pray, may they keep investing their lives in this business of seeking and saving the lost. 
And please grow their gifts and their graces in this next season of ministry. And Father, we pray on too for this week's summer scheme at the walkway. Uh, Thank you for each of the children who have been coming along. And we pray that each of them would know that you are the richest treasure we could ever find. And we pray as well for ourselves. Lord, please open doors for each of us to share something of the hope that we have in Christ. Even as we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, Father, we pray that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this week for our MP, Gavin Robinson, as he spends more time in Belfast over the summer recess. We pray that he will be an effective representative who will listen to the needs of the poor especially and, make, and use his influence to make wise decisions on behalf of everyone. And Father, as we go into this week, please give us our daily bread. Give us the health and the homes and the food and the clothing that we need for our journey. Please give us the rest that we need so that we can work hard for you at other times. And we pray too for those that we have particular burdens for. We take a moment now to remember them before you. Father, we ask all this, asking that you forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and that you lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. May we be trustworthy in our small matters that we might be judged to be good servants by the Lord Jesus when he comes. We pray with hunger and with hope and so we say in Jesus' name, Amen. And let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.